Well, <clears throat> congratulations, you did make it up. This is like terror moment for all worship leaders and pastors. This is like, I, I, I'm often tempted to think that there's like some vast secular conspiracy out there to set daylight savings time on a, Friday, on a Saturday night so that Sunday is the moment when, you know, you've got to be on, on top of making sure you're on time. If you see any of your friends who are typically worshiping with you in this service coming in for the next service, have mercy on them. Be kind to them. Just say, oh yeah, I'm, I'm sure you decided to sleep in to get a little more sleep. And, you know, I arrived once, by the way, to an Easter service as the closing prelude was being played. Easter. I missed Easter because of daylight savings time. All right. Well, anyway, we're going to read about um, an amazing worship service this morning in Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5, verses 6 through 14. Just uh, if you have your own Bible, that's great. If you don't, pull one out of the pew in front of you. Revelation chapter 5, verses 6 through 14. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center before the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. I'm just going to cut in here and say, the prayers of God's people are in bowls before the Lord in heaven. That's powerful, like incense. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God members of every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. And then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering Thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And in a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped. Friends, this is God's word for us today. Thank you, Lord, so much. Thank you that your word is so powerful. It speaks to us the truth that you want to convey to us, your children. It tells us who we are, who you are, how we're connected and how we ought to live. It gives us wisdom and grace for each day. It supplies us with the knowledge that you are on our side and that you will pour your spirit into us. And so, Lord, as we look at your scripture this morning, as we think about worship 
we pray that we will be open to what you have to speak to us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're coming near to the end of our, um, it's a good, the Good Life series. We've been working on this for uh, several weeks and uh, right through Lent as we prepare for Easter. Uh, next week is Palm Sunday and the next week is Easter. Wow, can you believe it? I looked outside at what it looked like this morning at 7 a.m. and I thought, hmm, it really is going to be a sunrise service. Which, by the way, will happen up on uh, I-86 at the... Uh, um, the rest area right there. We'll be there at 7 a.m. I hope you will too. It's an awesome, awesome place to worship God first thing in the morning. So we've been looking at Richard Foster's uh, book, The Celebration of Discipline, and, and the, the inward disciplines, which have included meditation and study and, and uh, more, and the outward disciplines, which have uh, been solitude and service and others. And now we're looking at the last four, the corporate disciplines. Last week, Pastor Kristen talked to you about confession and how that might be something we do together. And boy, the response to that service was just powerful in terms of people saying, wow, it was so good for my soul to, to confess together uh, what, uh, what I need to confess before the Lord. This week we're looking at worship. I was uh, laughing with some folks beforehand. I'm like, worship, this is like the hugest category. I'm supposed to put this into 20 minutes. Okay, here we go. You know, maybe worship is one of those really, really obvious spiritual disciplines. Like if I said to you, what action would you do with other people to really help you grow closer to God? I think most of us would say pretty quickly, uh, well, we get together for weekly worship. Yeah, that's right. We come together to worship. But though many of us do this all the time, uh, sometimes we forget what we're doing when we worship. Worship is both um, something simple and something complex. It's simple in the sense that um, we're just uh, praising God, right? But it's complex in that there's more involved. It's kind of like, like eating. Eating is something you do all the time. And you might say, well, it's really simple. What is eating? Eating is putting food in my mouth when I'm hungry. Yeah, that's true. But eating is also kind of complex. It, it's getting energy in order to maintain our bodies and uh, their functions. It's this beginning of this complex digestive process. It's something we do when we celebrate. It's something we do when we're mourning and we need comfort. It's something we do with family. It's something we do with friends. Sometimes we eat as a sign of respect for the person who has just placed something in front of us which we do not want to eat, but which out of respect and grace to them, we say, thank you, mmm. As a friend of mine once said about things that she did not want to eat, filling, mmm, thank you, so filling. I think I'm done now. In the same way, as that worship is simple. Yeah, we're praising God, but it's also complex. It's a time to gather and confess like we did last week. It's a, a time to maybe learn new ideas as we interact with God's word. It's a time to eat God's meal when we take communion together. It's a time to connect with others, to worship together. It's a, a time to experience some emotions Maybe if we realize who we are and realize 
who God is and what God has done for us. That can bring emotions. It's a time to connect, friends, to reality. A time to connect to reality. And reality is never safe. Reality is never safe. I love that song that Cassidy just sang. I could be all safe here, but I wouldn't be going where God calls me to go. I wouldn't be stepping into the reality. I want to show you a picture of um, the Colosseum. This uh, stands in uh, ancient Rome. And uh, it was built between 70 and 80 AD, by, started by uh, Emperor Vespasian and finished by uh, Titus, the emperor. It stands 157 feet tall. That's about uh, 15 stories tall. And it could hold up to 87,000 people. 87,000 people would gather there. The theatrical spectacle was an amazing sight to behold. Wild animals would suddenly pop up out of the floor in this complex system of elevators. They would come up and gladiators would be fighting them or the animals would fight each other or the gladiators would fight each other. They would, before the match, would step over in front of the emperor and say the famous words, we who are about to die salute you. And then they would fight to the death. And of course, Christians were murdered here fed to wild beasts, killed by gladiators, other horrible things. And I want you to know when you stand and you look at this scene and you realize it happened right here, right in this place with 87,000 people cheering while Christians were being torn apart. When you realize that, that's sobering reality that knocks you out of whatever little worry you had for the day. It brings you starkly into reality of what it means to to, to look death in the face. It's sort of a negative version of what worship does. Worship as well knocks us out of whatever we're worried about, whatever is going on in our lives, it knocks us out of our little pseudo-realities and into reality with a capital R. When we worship, it is to know, to feel, to experience the resurrected Christ, the love of the Father, the touch of the sevenfold spirit. Did you hear that in the text today? Worship is not a safe experience. If we come here expecting to be comforted and safe all the time, then we're not necessarily recognizing that when we come, we come to worship the living God who shows up. That's why we keep coming back. We sense it. We sense the reality of the living God. It's a connection to that reality, to God himself, and it knocks you back to a fuller understanding of reality, a way maybe if you're a busy person from all those tasks and to-do lists, maybe if you're a lonely person or you're a person who doesn't have much on your agenda each day, it knocks you out of that loneliness and into what God has for you. Worship is never, never a passive event. We never call you the audience. We never do. We always call you the congregation. You have congregated to be a part of this experience. You are not here to watch. If you're here to watch, then you don't know what you're doing. But if you're here to participate, 
in the congregation of the faithful than you are here to worship. Worship is called the work of the people. It's a human response to God's initiative. God is always reaching out to us, always exhorting us to see that he's really there and to see that he wants us so desperately to interact with him. Sometimes uh, I hear people say, oh, I'm not going there anymore because I wasn't being fed. You don't go to worship to be fed. You go to worship to feed. Everything I described to you earlier is an action. There is no passiveness here. Feed on the presence and the reality of the presence of God. You're here to connect with God in an active way. Richard Foster says, whatever welcomes us into that divine presence should be welcomed. And whatever hinders a genuine encounter with the living Christ should be shunned. Whatever helps us connect with God, yes, we can do that in worship. And whatever distracts us, put it aside. In the Bible, we see lots of forms of worship. We see people singing or praying or teaching from the Bible or proclaiming the truth or confessing sin or taking communion. There's lots of things that we see in the Bible. And there are many ways and forms of worship that we participate uh, here today. But I want you to know that forms, particular things that we do, ways that we worship, they ebb and flow. There are things that we do today that people 100 years ago who are as faithful as us would never dream of doing in worship. And there are things that they did then that we would be like, what? No, no, that's really not us. Forms, actions, ways of worship ebb and flow. They, they come and go, but all of them are designed to usher us into the reality of being in God's presence. And sometimes it's good to experiment and see different experiences. Remember those bowls filled uh, with the prayers of the saints that are like incense? Have you ever been to a church that has incense? Sometimes that feels weird, but sometimes it's really amazing to suddenly have your nose and your sense of smell be part of the worship experience. <clears throat> when we were in seminary, we called that smells and bells. <laughs> How many smells and bells does your worship have? All different churches have different levels of that. It's all important. It's all a good way Forms are something that's necessary. We need something to do when we get together for worship. We don't all just kind of show up in this place and go, um, I don't really know what to do. We come here with an expectation that we'll meet God and we do things like sing and proclaim the word and pray and reach out to each other and greet each other and love on each other. Those things all help us to connect when we're committed to worship as a reality and to worship to connect us to reality, then that's a powerful, powerful thing. One of those uh, forms that we take, we often do it when we're singing, is adoration. And speaking of adoration, my next point is worship is about God, not us. Let me just say that again. Worship is about God, not us. Revelation chapter 5 teaches us 
all about adoration of God. It shows us that worship truly is not about us. It's about focus on God. The complete focus of the lamb who uh, in the passage is Jesus. This is sort of a metaphorical view of Jesus. Uh, the complete focus on Jesus and on God are, are very evident there. And you see both, you see, you see all three. You see the Father on the throne. You see Jesus, the Lamb. You see the Spirit represented by the seven horns and the seven eyes. To him who sits on the throne, they shout. And to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. No one in that heavenly place is looking around to see if their friends came that day. No one is complaining about the seating arrangement. God, why are we all in a big circle? Can't we be in rows or something? How about pews? I really want pews. This new chairs thing is freaking me out, God. Nobody's saying that. They're focused on the Lord. And there are multiple beings there. Did you hear all those different Creatures, there's the four living creatures, which if you read earlier in Revelation, are really wacky. I mean, I'm not, I'm being generous here. You got to read how strange they are. There's the 24 elders who have the bowls. There's tens of thousands of angels, 10,000 times 10,000 angels spread all around in this giant circle. And then it says the voice presence of every creature in heaven, on earth, under the earth, in the sea, and all that is in them. Friends, this is universal worship. This is worship that comes from everyone and everything. And when we gather here on Sundays, we're just joining a universal, universal worship service that's already in progress. It's like we're tuning in for a little bit. Isn't that cool? When I think about people gather on Sunday morning to worship, I in my office, I have a bunch of clocks that represent a whole bunch of different places across the world where friends of mine live. I look at those clocks once in, once in a while and go, wow, some of them were worshiping at 2 o'clock this morning, our time. Some of them were worshiping last night at 8 o'clock. That was their Sunday morning. This Sunday morning worship goes on all day long on Sunday and you know that we are able to worship even beyond in the service. Worship is a continual event. When we tune in, we are tuning in to a universal service already in progress. And there, I hope you notice, there is in this passage singing and prayers and proclamations and glory and formality and order and beings physically falling down on their faces. And there's awe. Some sort of form is essential for us to worship. And, you know, it really doesn't matter how we feel in worship. We're still called to do it. I just want you to know, this question, do I feel like going to church today, is not a legitimate question. If you are having that question, then you don't fully understand what you're calling from God to you, what the calling of God is on your life. It shouldn't be a choice. It's just a decision. I, will, I mean, I understand if you're sick, please don't come. I mean, you know what I mean. But if you're just like, boy, do I 
Do I feel like it? It doesn't matter. We still come to worship. God, this hour belongs to you. I will worship you. John Wesley, when his heart was strangely warmed at the meeting at Aldersgate Street, he said, I went that night very reluctantly. He had to drag himself to that meeting. He was like, I don't want to go. I don't want to go to this stupid meeting on Aldersgate Street where my life will be changed forever. He didn't know that. He just said, I'll go. I'm going to go. And, and I love this. Boy, if you think you need to be entertained in worship in order to be touched by the Spirit of God, this is powerful. The guy there was reading out of the preface to Luther's commentary on the book of Romans. Reading straight out of like the, the preface, the, the introduction to a commentary on Romans. And in that moment, John Wesley said, I suddenly felt my heart strangely warmed and I knew that God loved me and that I was his child and that I could know him personally and that completely changed his ministry. And after that, tens of thousands of people became Christians because of the work that God did through him. Sometimes we drag in Sometimes we feel like we have no strength. We're just worn out, whether it's by worry or fear or our own sin or grief. And we can hardly even sit here, let alone stand. In those instances, I want you to see a picture from my backyard. There it is. It's beautiful, isn't it? First of all, the fence is just breathtaking. I want you to know that. No, it's the wet wood. It's the wet wood I want you to see. That is a pile of wet wood. Now, I want you to see this next picture. That's right. That's what that wood can become. It doesn't matter how wet you are when you come into worship. When we get together with a whole bunch of other Christians, you can start to burn. You can start to burn. It's real the presence and strength of others can carry us along. When we are here in grief, we can't sing, but others will sing around us and they carry us. That's powerful. Sometimes we feel like God isn't connecting with me. I can't even pray. Others will pray around us. That's why we have to do this together. It's so crucial. It's so crucial. And that brings me to my last point. The height of worship, friends, the height of worship is in community. It's in us gathered together as the community of faith. Yes, you can worship anywhere, including standing in the woods all by yourself. I've done it. It's awesome. It's a wonderful thing. Brother Lawrence wrote a little book, Practicing the Presence of Christ, where he emphasized that we should worship God all day long, no matter what we're doing, no matter what little task we're involved in doing the dishes, driving around, whatever, that we can practice that presence of Christ and worship all day long, and that is real and it is important. But friends, nothing is as powerful as being together, being together in the presence of God. It's kind of like, yes, you can survive on spam. I know, because I've done it. You can live with just spam but it's not a great existence. There's more out there. 
There's roast beef. There's pork belly. There's filet mignon. There's brisket. There's dinosaur barbecue. I could just go on and on. There's so much more than spam. So yes, you can worship by yourself, but why would you do that when you could have filet mignon? Why would you choose just that when you can be in the presence of the body of Christ? We already know community is important because our spirits are picked up when we're at any kind of positive event where there's just tons of people. I'm thinking about March Madness. Today I know I will go home, I will look at my computer, and my two brothers-in-law will have created the brackets. And the family will be invited to put down who we think is going to win each one of those games. And we'll have fun watching that over the next several weeks. But I want you to think about those March Madness games happening with only the players and the coaches in those venues. What would that be like? With all those people, the same number of people watching, but all remotely on their televisions. What would that be like? It would be, nobody would watch because the crowd is so much a part. They're not an audience. They're a congregation into that event, screaming and cheering and yelling, friends, that's what we are in worship. I mean, that's just basketball. I like basketball, but we're not talking about the living God. Wow. I mean, we're talking about the God who changes us, who transforms us. What is your issue? God transforms us. God is here alive, working in us, making us new. Friends, the good life of worship, it's not about you. It's not about me. Here's just a couple of... uh, practical helps for you to gather as I'm going to invite the band to come up as I say these. Just a couple of practical ideas. First of all, this. Prepare yourself for worship. I challenge you to not just arrive here at the last second like, I'm here to worship. But instead to prepare, to get your mind ready. I don't let myself look at my cell phone or the TV, or anything on Sunday morning. I just keep my mind away from all that because I want to be ready to worship. Get your body ready to worship. I challenge you to go to bed at a decent time. I mean, this is ironic that I'm preaching this on this morning, right? When we're all like, oh, we just made it here. But get your body ready to worship. Go to bed at a decent time on Saturday night so you're ready to roll on Sunday morning. Get your soul ready. Talk to God. Secondly, expect that you will meet God in worship. This one shocked me when I read it. I was like, I have to confess that sometimes I just come to worship thinking, all right, these are all the things I have to do. And I forget to expect that I will meet God here. In fact, sometimes it surprises me in the service. I go, that was awesome. God showed up. Like, I should be surprised at that? I mean, God is the one that invites us to worship. You never think of going to worship on your own. That is never your idea. Nor is it never your mom's idea or your dad's idea or your children's idea. That's God planting that idea in your life. He calls us to worship, and if he calls you to worship, he's going to be here. 
because you've shown up. He's excited to interact with you and don't expect it, friends, to be a safe experience. When you're with the Lord, he may convict you and change you and transform you in a way you never expected, but which is entirely real. Just ask John Wesley. It changed his life. Finally, remember that your feelings, your preferences, your likes and dislikes, they're all secondary. Every one of them is secondary. The focus is on God, not us, and our comforts. If you don't like something, try to let it go and focus on God. I think that um, our band is going to lead us. We've been worshiping this whole time, but they're going to lead us in one more song. I know what it is. It's the great I am. Good choice, huh? I encourage you to not be an audience. Let's sing this with everything we have.